Hello again, folks. This is Marty Ross, your local Aaron storyteller, here with the concluding episode of a three-part chitter which I call The Unburying. Now, in the previous two episodes, we've seen young Alec come across the household of the Reverend Jacob Gault and his niece, Aris, located in a remote part of the, the northeast of Arran, a household plagued by a strange, shadowy and supernatural entity. Against the wishes of the Reverend Galt, Alec has encouraged Aris to leave the manse with him before that dark and dangerous force can return. The minister, meanwhile, well, he feels that aforementioned shadowy and supernatural presence gathering close behind him, seizing him tight and... Well, folks, let's pick up the story from there. Rain. The landscape into which they escaped seemed made of rain. Ragged curtains of grey downpour sweeping across the lane along which they hurried. The leaves in the bushes rattling with the battering they were taking from the bulky drops. Treetops sagging and streaming with their saturation. There began to appear through the wet foliage like pale grey mushrooms sprouting to the most bloated size. Cottages. Outbuildings. Their windows shuttered. Boarded over. Planks nailed across shut doors even as the rain streamed audibly through gaps between broken roof slates. Striking echoes of whatever hollow interiors lay within. Occasionally, something like a crudely painted cross stained the lumpish brickwork of a wall. It, 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 it's like a plague village, remarked Alec. Everyone's gone? Alice, her hand clutching Alec's hand tight, dragging him swift through the puddles of the track, said... And we need to be gone too. We let too much of the day go by already. And see, see how dark the afternoon's getting with those grey clouds up there. Sometimes, round here, the day seems dark as the night. No wonder they all ran. They had reached the end of the little line of cottages facing a mass of yet more sodden gorse bushes and contorted tree trunks. Yet off to one side of them, in the direction in which Alice was striving to pull him, a sound of waves on rocks could be made out past the rainfall's monotony, signalling the edge of the drop to the pale grey openness of the sea. Looking the other way, Alec could see the land sloping sharply up to a tree and bush studded ridge 
getting a clear sense for the first time of how the tiny village was located in a kind of uneven bowl in the land, low-rimmed on the seaside, high-edged on the inland side. The seaward direction in which Alice was all but dragging him seemed to make simple sense, but he, he stopped, forcing her to, to stop with him. Not that way, he said, but we can get down to the sea, she replied. And then, yes, yes, of a protracted scramble of, I don't know, however many miles over rough terrain before we reach any kind of civilization. And you might recall it's on the slope down there. I had my first encounter with what we're trying to get away from. This other way. Up the slope here there'll be a, well, a few hard minutes of clambering. But other side of there we can surely drop straight down to the road. If a wagon or even an automobile comes along, we can we can securely be back in the real world within, well, I don't know, a matter of minutes. Alice looked a little sceptical. But Alec, man enough to privilege his own strategic thought over that of some exquisite but naive young woman, tugged on her hand and moments later they were scrambling up that steep slope alongside a, a narrow waterfall with its street white down the dark turf. With the ground so wet the scramble was still harder than he had anticipated. Many a clambering step resulting in at least a momentary slip and reverse of the previous few steps. But there were more trees towards the top of the slope and the rough trunks could be grabbed at for greater leverage so that at last they were able to, to haul themselves up onto the ridge. Below them, the hillside sloped down to the snake of road, winding up out of Loch Ranza to the north. It's bridging of the pass before dipping down towards Sanex and Corrie and beyond Brodick and that same prosaic world where nothing of what they were escaping was remotely possible or even conceivable in the first place. To confirm their sudden proximity to that world a little motor wagon could be seen laboriously chuntering its way up the pass. Alec raised an arm to wave to catch the driver's eye and gain them a swift ride to civilization. But this was a little optimistic given the distance they still had to descend to reach the road. Still, even as the little vehicle rattled out of sight on down the hill on the other side, Alec felt sufficiently confident of their escape to, to draw breath and wondered if all he had been through hadn't been a, a dream, a dream from which the gusting damp air up there on the ridge had just wakened him. But there was Alice at his side, hands still tight in his, proof at least of the, of the better part of the experience. She was looking on him fondly, almost devoutly, 
through an untidy veil of damp hair. I knew, I think, she said, you'd rescue me. After all these long months, the attacks of that thing getting worse, closer, closer, night after night, the feeling it was maybe, you know, me, it was sniffing out the, I don't know, the, the womanliness in me. Now I'm not a girl no more. Like, like beasts can scent out, well, what do they say, don't they? Flavours in the blood. And then there you were, out of nowhere. And I made my own scenting, I suppose. That big, wide around world you'd walked in out of. Of your power to walk me back there the moment you got the chance and... Maybe. Maybe. Yes, walk me there with you. If I helped. I'll walk you, yes, he said. At least as far as a, a better life than the life you had back there. It ought to be just down the road. Now, if we can just get across to that road. She was gripping his hand tighter. And when we get there, she asked, What then? Will you stay there with me? Share it with me? For all the long while we've left us? He carefully detached his hand from hers. You don't want that, Alice, he said. She frowned, bewildered, past the thick raindrops beading her features. Where I come to you from, he went on. Well, it's... It's not a place where someone like you would belong. I made a lot of mistakes there. A few of the worst mistakes involved young women. Young women a little more uh, worldly than yourself, perhaps, though that's no excuse. One young woman in particular, where I did her, her a very great wrong. The daughter of the dean at my university, of all people to be wronging in my last year there. Great scandal among the grown-ups of Kelvin Grove. Yours truly sent into exile. Twelve months precisely, by command of my father. While the massed forces of decency back home sorted out the poor girl. Medically and otherwise. And me? Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed my exile. As might be expected of a reckless young fellow who's got away with more than he should. And here I am, on my way back, my 12 months banishment up on Tuesday week. The scandal buried, meanwhile, the young woman dispatched to her relations in the south coast. A fine, well-behaved future set up for me by the paterfamilias, who on condition the youth in me has been exhausted in the continent. And they 
They wouldn't accept me, would they? asked Alice. Them fancy Glasgow types. I wouldn't accept you, he countered. Not over there, in this, this life that I'm set to live from now on. Why? Because you're not good enough? No. No. Because I'm not good enough for you. Because I'm still, quite frankly, the same rotten piece of work who got on that boat train a year ago. Because it's my special inclination. Like it's the inclination of that thing we're running from to root around in graves to devastate and leave in ruins any decent young woman I stumble on. Which is why I'm taking you as far, maybe, as the mainland. And then leaving you more or less to take care of yourself. Which, believe me, is the best thing I can do for you. Besides, that is, getting you off this wet hillside and down to Brodick. Come on, let's go. But even as he faced forward again, he could see a gathering tide of grey mist rising up the glen from the northern end, looking as if it would soon obscure the line of the road. Taking Alice's hand again as he started down the slope, he looked past the top of the mist to the mountains looming beyond. These were muted and grey of outline, what with the ceaseless sweep of the rain, but he supposed if he could keep a bearing on them before the mist rose too high, it, it should be easy enough to navigate down to the point in the road he sought. Just below that, yes, yes, that one there, looking like a broken pillar, that seemed the best spot to aim for. They had, however, only strode and slid a few steps down the damp hillside before a, a tug on his hand from Alice made him look round and then follow the direction of her own backward-turned gaze. He was disorientated for a moment by the sight of one more mountain, a mountain that surely had not been there a moment before, looming above them on that nearer side of the valley. A second later, as the towering grey shape lurched, hunched and reached directly for him, he realised it was no mountain, as surely as had been the case when he was attacked in the darkness of the churchyard, his monstrous attacker seemed bewilderingly fluid of shape. Now the smudged dirty grey of rock and dirt soaked in rain, rather than, as before, the bottomless black of night sky and moon-cast shadow. And as before, when some swung part of that inchoate mass connected with him, it had all the spiky solidity of a limb and a bear furred with porcupine quills. It knocked him off his feet prior to his thumping onto the ground at full length and roaring, winded on down the slope. 
He writhed, twisted his way to a stop amid the roughness of rock and gorse and heather, straining to get breath back in his bruised body, swinging his vision this way and that for sight of... Alice! Alice! Suddenly she was sliding down the slope towards him, so swiftly she lost her own footing, dropping onto her backside and colliding with him, only to scramble swiftly upright, grabbing his hand, half helping and half wrenching him to his feet, and then hastening them both into a swift, slippery sprint onward down the slope, their attacker audibly bellowing its way after them. Close below now was the thickening stream of mist. They strained swifter to reach such cover as it might offer, only to have the amorphous force behind and above them slam itself hard into their backs, knocking both of them from their feet, linked hands forced apart, their bodies dropping, tumbling, sliding, slipping down, down, down into the creamy morass of the fog. Alec slid to a stop in a tiny island of visible turf and rock, pale grey murk thick all around him. No sign of Alice anywhere. He, he, he called for her, his voice echoing dully against the sudden hush that surrounded him as densely as the mist. Alice! Alice! Silence answered. He dragged himself to his feet, ran a few slippery steps this way, then that way, calling, calling, feeling as if all but those few visible inches of planet might have evaporated into empty space. But then, thinly from a distance, hard to judge, came, yes, yes, the sound of Alice calling for him. He called back, started a slippery run in at least the, the general direction the cries seemed to come from. Even as he did so, another set of sounds came his way from out of the fog, these plainly coming from behind him, and even more plainly, the bellowings of that which he was running from. A glance over his shoulder showed that vast, dirty, grey shape, that charcoal smear of what any soul might fear at the mouth of hell, raging free of the thicker mist which had concealed it. He ran on, swifter, facing forward to see Alice's thinner, more meagre shape emerging ahead, making her own run towards him. Through the mist's chilly clamminess, he felt a surge of smoky heat rippling across him from behind, bringing with it a familiar stink of fiery rot. He hurled himself forward faster still, and as his own running form had shifted from a misty smear to a more distinct figure reaching out for him, he yelled at her to turn, to run back the way she had come. But even as he did this, he felt a great swoop of dark claw collide with him, scooping him off the ground, high into the misty air, 
swinging him around to face. But the huge and monstrous face which loomed before him, shedding layers of mist to show the precise contours of its furious expression, was such a sight as might burn to ashes any words trying to describe it. And in his unbeliever's heart, he knew that when folk talked of hell, of the rages and anguishes and torments and violences locked there forevermore, and of the things there that might further torment the tormented, it was of things such as this that language was straining and failing to speak having breathed its material reality upon him it cast him to the ground before grabbing him anew wrenching him back up 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 into the air this time as he was raised he saw Alice dart into view immediately below him reaching up trying to to grab at his dangling hands and arms she she failed and he was swept high above her reach being swung towards a great maw of pale grey fangs, a serpentine tongue of a startling scarlet darting fiery at the back of them. He knew he was about to die and that the dying was likely to be the least and briefest of the agonies resulting. And he had nothing to meet that horror with but a dumb shudder in the breakable cage of his chest. But then, from below, came a sharp cry from Aris, a cry of, No! Take me! It's me you want! I know it is! Take me! And the beast paused in its shove of Alec's battered, bleeding form towards its jaws. Paused and then, with its most brusque violence yet, hurled him back to the ground. He hit the hard turf with a winded gasp and lay there, unmoving, unable to move. Only the pulsing of his innumerable pains reminding him he was still alive. Somewhere through that mist of meshed agonies, he could hear Alice shouting, though her words could no longer make it past the thickening rumble of blood in his skull. And then, and then there was a sound they could, he could hear, could hear distinctly, though perhaps it was more a case of Sensing it through the weight made the the ground vibrate against his heaped bones, for it was a sound of of earth being dug through and dug through ferociously. He recalled the sound of that self-same beast digging its way through the churchyard graves. Then, what might have been seconds or whole minutes later he felt himself grabbed again dragged across the ground this time rather than raised above it dragged to the to the rough edge of a drop and then cast down the several feet of that drop landing on wet dirt 
with another thump his body was by now too numb to feel with the previous sharpness. But then a very different sensation refocused his attention for it was the sensation of a thick spray of wet mud raining down about him blinking some vague smear of vision back into his eyes he he glimpsed the beast's dark shape against the pale mist above saw that like a dog burying a bone it was using its great claws to briskly shovel into the hole in which Alec lay the perhaps four or five feet worth of dirt it had dug up to make the hole in the first place more mud stones big and small mixed up in it came spattering thundering spinning and piling about him he made a weak gesture towards raising a hand to to ward off the the solid deluge but the strength in him was but a, a ghost of strength and the wet dark matter the apparition was hurling his way was very very solid indeed it it buried him in the darkness and stench of deep earth and as that darkness clogged just as thick inside his own mind his strongest thought was of was of Alice and of how thoroughly he had failed to save her if he had been casting himself into hell that would have been the feeling the crime which outweighed all the others The Reverend Galt started awake to a dappling of of cold water on his face. He was he was lying where it felt like yes it was the the harsh weave of the rug by the hearth but it felt as if the fire had gone out and why did it feel as if it were as if it were raining inside the parlour he raised his head slowly suffering a shiver the length of him blinking hard and looking about in a a gloom that had engulfed the entire interior. Had night fallen so quickly? It seemed but instants ago he had been standing in that room at the darker end of the afternoon, absorbing the shock of seeing Alice, his Alice, his beauteous and innocent and so sincerely, devoutly protected niece stealing out into the rain, hand in hand with that, that atheist vagabond with his Byronic pretensions, and his knapsack decorated with emblems of the sights of his doubtless innumerable continental debauches, the rage he had felt. And then, then there had been something else, something stealing into the room at his back, some some great shadow stinking of 
hunger and grave dirt hurling itself hard upon him and that was the last thing he had felt until until now upright albeit on somewhat shaky legs he he realised why there indoors the rain was spattering him so the end wall of the parlour complete with its bay window had largely been torn away leaving a great irregular hole in the wall edged with juttings of exposed bricks opening directly out onto the now darkened kirkyard at the rear of the manse the ragged tear extending all the way up to the parlour ceiling which itself was perceptibly sagging and cracking with such a portion of that weight-bearing wall gone. But more disturbing still than all this was the, the sight of a few scraps of black clothing draped across the remains of sundered brickwork at the bottom of the gap torn in the wall. He stepped forward picked up the lengthy torn scraps of what he knew from the fragments of white coral at the top to be strips ripped from Alice's dress. And where those dark stainings in the dark fabric merely soakings of rain. No. No. Here at this ragged remnant of white collar spots of darkest red sandstone dirt he wished without much hope or even faith it might be so he turned from the gap looked down dark spatters and spots dimly visible on the varnished floorboards some vague hint of moonlit shadow flitted across him and the floorboards he looked out through the gap again the merest hint of a shape slid by the whitewashed wall of the adjoining church something deep in him flinched colder than the wet night outside but he he steered himself and as a fine shower of dust from the cracked ceiling began raining down on him he stumbled and groped his way out out through the gap he caught a, another glimpse of shadow near the corner by the door of the kirk heard what sounded like the rattling of the heavy door opening and closing hastening Nervously that way, he spotted another lengthy spattering of blood across the white marble of one of the tumbled headstones. He reached the door of the kirk, found it open by the, the thinnest margin, another bloody splash upon the front step. He... He took firm hold of the iron handle of the door, 
hesitated a second, then wrenched, wrenched the door wider and stepped in, in, into the church interior. The plain walls and the light pine of the pews gleamed in the moonlight through the high windows, but betrayed no hint of movement among them. Further spots and splashes of what looked like blood upon the white floor of the central aisle led him, however, to the front of the church, where a sprawled, ragged shape began to emerge into view. It might have been some great broad-winged gull that had found a way in through one of the holes in the roof, beating its profane form dead against the stark purity of the white walls in search of a way out. But no, as he drew closer, he realised its draught-stirred mess of white and black was a shape far dearer, far more blessed than the small, tight church of his mind. Alice! Alice! He darted the last few steps, dropped to one knee at her side. She lay there, with her long black dress, torn, shredded to a few clinging strips, laying bare the white slip and whiter skin beneath. That skin scratched, or more deeply cut in several places. Her face turned on one side in the chilly stone, her eyes closed, a few further red scratches on her pallid cheek. He supposed she might be dead. Alice! He reached down to gather her in his arms. No sooner had he touched her. Then she started awake as if a jolt of electric current had been sent through her. She reared up from the stone, clawing, pushing at him, shoving him back away. As she wriggled herself upright, more torn dress dropping away as she flattened herself against the back wall beyond his pulpit. Alice, it's... It's you, she said. What? I saw, she went on. I called, called to that thing, that awful thing when it caught up with us on the hillside, when it... I think it killed Alec. I called and it... Caught me up, carried me back here so so swift it was like the like the speed nightmares go at. Broke its way through the wall of the manse, did you see? Threw me in 
hard on the floor right next to where you where you were lying there on the hearth rug looking all but dead yourself a few blind twitches to you nothing more and meanwhile that 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 thing was squeezing in after me I tried to wake you but you weren't wakeable and that thing it was full awake like like lightning running in a storm it caught me all over again raised me tore at me at my at my clothes sniffing and snarling after my soul like it was a bone a dog was going at and I I screamed oh how I screamed fear anger fury at what that thing had done and was out to do and somewhere in the hard knot of that thing's hatred it heard heard and and reared back like it had taken fright itself, it, it lost all the hardness of its shape, slipping away to being no more than a, a shadow, a great shadow high in the wall above the hearth. A shadow that started to, to shrink away. And as the shadow shrank, I saw it, saw it creep towards, towards you, where you lay, still all but dead upon the floor. The shadow shrank all the way into you. You soaked it up like a, like a sponge soaking blood. And then the shadow was gone. It, the whole awful thing, gone. And you started to wake. And I knew then it had been you. And you had been it. All along. No, he said. No, that, 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 that's not true. It, it can't be true. What, me? Me, a man who stands in this church every Sabbath and proclaims at, the, at that lectern there the, the, the word of God. However, empty the pews and who has never, not once, allowed himself to, to, to be the damned Soul, the soul, very, very damned soul he might at certain moments have found it in himself to be. Who, who? Oh, but of course, of course, yes, yes, for there was. That moment, that long ago terrible moment with your, with your father and all the, 
or the other moments either side of it, the, the clothed, huddled, hidden moments that made that naked moment inevitable. They tried to hide the truth of it away when the thing was done too thoroughly to ever be undone. Yes! Yes! Who else but this sinner here could cast a shadow like that? For I buried those sins of mine, and the worst sins were committed perhaps in the moments when only my thoughts had movement in them, buried them deep as any heart has ever dug, and smoothed the earth over so tight even I could forget for a second here and there all that lay beneath. But the devil I should have known likes to dig deep. For that's where the real treasure lies. What prize for the enemy of man in wrapping a claw around the coarse, the common, the unequivocal criminal, misdeeds all flaunted on the surface. It's the pious man most fit for Satan's dance. And oh, he found a dancing partner in this dominee. Yes! Here, hell, behold! A sinner deep as thy, cold as fire, and too weary to run any longer from, from his own shadow. For that shadow keeps catching up, and yet, yet, my Alice, the heart of the sin lay in my sweetest love, my love for you. He was stepping towards her, extending pale and tremulous hands. She shifted further away, sliding her back along the white wall. Oh, it was an innocent love, you must understand, he said, slowly but insistently pursuing her. The love of a devoted uncle seeking to save a child of angelic beauty from a father devilish in his failings. To save her, whatever the cost incurred, and having saved you, I raised you as nothing more nor less than my own beloved child. But then, my girl, a woman you became, a young woman so unfamiliar to the strict pieties of my own celibate heart that I... Oh, I had to bury certain impulses deeper than the hole dug for any murder. And oh, oh, the seed this sinner was planting. You've seen for yourself the venomous weed that sprouted forth. But how could either the worst or the best in me let you go? Because without you, my girl, the light, the brightness of you, 
That shadow would devour me whole, leaving me shadow. Nothing but shadow. Forevermore. But it's, yes, your shadow, uncle, she said, shifting to step past him. And I think I'm entitled, at last, to take a step into the light. He seized her arm, but I can't let you, he declared. For think how this dark in me would blaze at that. The fury it would turn on this fragile world. I, I feel it now. Stirring, rising, catching light in the shadows of my heart. The buried places scratching, clawing its way up, up, up and free. Can't you feel it? You must. For it fights its way out. For delight in you, it. He stopped. A lengthy shadow had fallen across them both from the rear of the kirk. Alice looked that way. A dark figure lumbered inward from the shadows near the doorway, stinking of wet earth. It spat a little of that dirt on the church's floor. <laughs> Weave her! Alec cried, wiping from his face some of the peaty dirt that had clung there, almost as tight as it clung to the rest of his soiled form. I've come, as you see, some way to get her. Clean out the grave you dug for me, back there on the hillside. Yes, I've been whistling for a while, back there, out of sight. Mad though it is to my irreligious mind. The whole thing makes, I suppose, its own kind of sense. Even explains, I suppose, why I was locked in my room one night and the room unlocked the next. We me to free to, to, to wander straight into the clutches of that thing because if, as I can readily accept, there's a part of you that might genuinely want to protect me, I know now, by your own admission, there's another part of you that would only too readily direct me towards the teeth and claws. What's only another part of you, after all? Tell me. Did you walk me in that night? I mean, I mean, in the first place, as compliment to the drugged wine, or did you lock you in? Gasped the minister. Of course. Yes. Yes, indeed, the... The wine, the... The opiate, uh, a preparation I sometimes take for, for my nerves. And the door locked, yes. As soon as I could hear through it that you were asleep and then, and then the attempt to, to sleep myself. But the, the dreams, the dreams that came to me, such dreams, was it in those dreams I, I walked 
unlocked, knowing, knowing, yes, 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 if you woke, you might steal out half wanting you to, knowing, yes, yes, that, that thing would be waiting for you if you did, half wanting, oh, there's the thing frightens me most, the fear that that there's no simple division between myself and it. That it stands here, here, now. Stands there even, at the lectern there, yes, on Sabbath morn. And that I, I riot my way through Christian graves as devilishly as it does. Which means it was you, yes, that tried to bury me alive up there in that hillside, said Alec, stepping forward, his mud-clotted feet squelching on the polished white floor. And would have a mind to do much, much worse, I dare say, to Alice here. That's not true, he cried. And as he cried, it was, it was as if his face was swelling. Burning red, then white, like some flare catching light, sending a huge shadow leaping up the white wall at his back. And as that shadow leapt, Alice dropped to her knees, dipped her head, raised and clenched her hands, began muttering what sounded like some desperate jumble of prayer. Alec was already hastening his advance into an outright sprint. The sharp lump of quartz rock he had carried from the grave he had dug his way out of was clenched in his hand. The reverend gawked, swayed, eyes rolling up white and blind, dropped to the ground, even as the shadow on the wall behind him swelled taller still, bloating itself into a solid, independent shape. Dark spikes, thick as fur, blazing eyes and predator jaws yawning wide, great claws forming and firming up and reaching, reaching not for him, but for Alice, directly below and still caught up in the intensity of her prayer. Alec threw himself to one knee above the body of the minister where it twitched, spasmodic, unconscious upon the floor. He raised the rock high above the white skull. Alice broke free of her prayer, even as Alec saw from the corner of his eye the lowermost claw descending close above her head. No, she was crying. Let me pray. Pray for us, but Alec. A brass tax pragmatist in all the adventures of his life turned a blind ear and brought the rock down. The brief crack echoed, echoed like thunder, the length and height of the church's interior. And then there was silence. 
silence and stillness and nothing and no one there but Alec and Alice. Her sobs beginning to steal upon the silence. Plus the body of the man Alec had just killed. It was only now, staring at that pale head rendered suddenly so broken and red, that the thought occurred to him that in his fight out of his own grave he, he might have gone a little insane himself. Even as he thought this, Alice shoved herself between him and the body, elbowing him aside with surprising strength, throwing herself across her uncle, weeping and caressing the still and shattered shell of him. Alec stumbled onto his feet, leaning against a pew. I, I, I had to, he told her, to save you. She looked sharply up at him, her tears molten upon her cheeks. Save me, she said. I would have saved him. With my prayers, prayers, Alec snorted wiping more dirt from his face. It was looking a wee bit late for that. And you'd have needed faith, she replied, to wait for another second or two and see what happened. I know what would have happened, he said. That's why I did what I did when I did it. You know what you know, she said. But you don't. Believe anything, do you? I know after all that's happened, this unbeliever can bring himself to believe in hell, he said. But anything better than that is still for me a bit of a push. I do believe certainly I'd like to get out of here. And I know I'd like you to come with me. He stretched a hand her way. She, she stared at it. He only belatedly realised there was blood mixed with the mud upon it. He drew the hand back. Now I know how right you were when you said where you're going is no place for me. My place is here, long enough to bury him and see the land lie still and calm. You'll be long gone by then. Yes, he said and turned and walked slowly out. Down on the shore, he washed the dirt from his hands amid the icy swash of the waves. 
and looked across the water to the glowing civilised lights of the mainland shore. He had no idea what story he could tell that world over there that it would believe. No idea how to get back into that world. Now he had done what he had done. So he rose to his feet on the shingle and walked onward into the spiritless island dark. While not far at his back Alice dipped her head and prayed prayed for her uncle's pious soul. So there we have it, folks. When you start a story, you're often not quite sure yourself where it's going to take you. When I drew my basic storyline from, as I explained in previous episodes, from a Japanese folk tale, or ghost story, or in the parlance, Kwaidan. Transposing it here to Aaron, it seemed simple common sense to make a character who, in the original, was a Buddhist monk into a Presbyterian minister. That seemed the figure roughly equivalent in Scottish culture, but I see now that in making that change, I turned this Japanese tale into a very Scottish story indeed. In the sense that the two most celebrated Gothic chillers by Scottish writers, Stevenson's Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and James Hogg's Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner. Both revolve around characters of a a very high-minded Calvinistic piety, who, precisely because of the repressive force of that piety, harbour within and project from themselves monstrous, demonic alter egos. And that's what we wound up with here. As in those other stories, it, it hardly guaranteed us a completely happy ending. But I hope it offered a gritty, suspenseful experience and some fodder for your dreams tonight. Pleasant or otherwise. And on the subject of suspense, I'm afraid I'm going to have to keep you waiting a wee bit for my next story. The truth is, folks, that the demands of the real world are currently intruding a wee bit on the, on the sheer pleasure I take in leading you into these worlds of strange and magical fantasy. So I'm going to be taking a, a short hiatus in terms of presenting new shows. It should only be, I do promise you, a very, very, very short hiatus. I have many exciting stories I still want to tell you. And in the meantime, we now have seven months' worth of previous storytelling sessions for you still to enjoy, whether here on Aaron Sound, or if you want to check out the podcast, 
we'd have made all our previous shows readily available. That's the Magic Island Storytelling Theatre podcast. Think M-I-S-T. Mist. Scots Mist. Magic Island Storytelling Theatre. And it's available free, gratis and for nothing on Spotify, Anchor FM, Apple, Google Podcasts, many other podcast sites, etc, etc, etc. In the meantime, folks, thank you for listening. And I will, I promise, be back very, very soon with even more magical and mysterious tales to tell you. Do watch this space. In the meantime, as I often say at the end of my live shows, remember live shows, folks? I don't ask you to believe my stories. I only ask that you dream about them afterwards. Pleasant dreams, folks.